0: your Bibles this morning to 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings chapter 17. This past uh, Friday afternoon, Pastor Lemming called and we had some discussion about uh, his uh, treatment and his recovery from his back injury and leg injury, his uh, the pain that he's been enduring the past few weeks. And He's in the middle of his physical therapy and uh, really trying to get better. and so he's decided the next two weeks, maybe to take a couple of weeks off and focus completely on getting his back and his you know, his legs better, and so he can stand and, and preach the word of God to us. Uh, I don't know if you've ever had any back pain or if you've had any problems with your legs, but that's what pastor's experiencing, and we certainly need to, to pray for him. Uh, i miss him this morning, don't you? Yeah. Well, after you hear me preach, you're really going to miss him. <laughs> this morning, as we look to 1 Kings chapter 17, I, I want to open up the service in a word of prayer, and I, I want to not only pray for this service, but let's all corporately lift our hearts to God and and pray for Pastor Lemming. Um, you know, this is this is difficult for him not being here and not being able to preach today. And so, uh, please, let's all pray together. Would you would you pray with me? Our Father, we thank you for this sacred time set apart for the teaching and preaching of the Word of God. Lord, we, we're grateful that you are here. But Father, we would certainly we would wish that our pastor was here. We, we miss him this morning, Father. And we ask you, God, to, to touch his body, Lord, to bring healing and to, to bring strength, Lord, to all the physical problems, Lord, that, that he's uh, experiencing with his back and, Lord, with his legs. We just ask you, God, to, to just strengthen him today. Lord, I pray that you help the physicians to pinpoint the problem, and Lord, to be able to treat the problem, and as he continues his physical therapy, and walking, and moving, and God, I, I just pray that day by day that you would, you would get him better. Lord, we just ask you to bring healing. Lord, we know that you use therapy and medication to bring healing. But, God, we also know that you can reach down and touch us and and bring healing. And we we ask you, Lord God, that you would heal him this morning. Now, Lord, we pray for this service. Bless the teaching and preaching of the Word of God. Lord, we, we believe the Bible is our God, our strength, our truth. and Lord, we thank you that this, this book can bring transformation to our life. And I just pray, God, that you would help us as we preach your word today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. First Kings chapter 17, begin reading with me in verse number 1. The Bible says, And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead... "'said to Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, "'there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word.'" Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, this is God speaking to Elijah, "'Get away from here, turn eastward.'" and hide by the brook of Kareth, which flows into the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. For he went and he stayed by the brook Kareth, which flows into the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And it happened after a while the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. In 1 Kings chapter 17, the prophet Elijah has a rather dramatic appearance on the scene. God's man just happens to appear from nowhere, and this is the first time we read about Elijah the prophet. His timely appearance is both mysterious, yet it's majestic. For instance, look at verse 1. Verse 1 says, and Elijah the Tishbite, the inhabitants of Gilead. Folks, that's all we know historically about Elijah. The Scripture is silent up to this point. And so, this morning, I want to look at this passage of Scripture and talk to you today about four lessons Elijah learned by the brook of Kareth. Stay with me, and let's kind of just work through this passage. Notice the first lesson Elijah learned at the brook of Kareth was he he learned the reality of God. Go down to to verse number one, and the, the Bible says, And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead, that's his history. That's his, you know, that's all we know about him. But he said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. Circle the the word Elijah. The word Elijah means Jehovah is my God. You, you say, Brother Tim, why do you think this is significant? Because Elijah proclaimed Jehovah in the midst of Baal worship. Notice, he's giving his prophecy to Ahab. Well, who in the world is this guy, Ahab? Look, Look over to chapter 16. You're in chapter 17. Just look up a couple of verses at verse number 29. And the Bible tells us who this Ahab character is. The Bible says in the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab the son of Amri became king over Israel. Go down to verse 30. Now Ahab, the son of Amri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. Verse 31, and it came to pass, as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took a wife, Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Zizonians, underline this in your Bible, and he went and served Baal and worshiped him. Then verse 32, he set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. And thus, in verse 33, Ahab made a wooden image, and Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. So, yes, Elijah's name has significance. Why? Because he was serving God in the midst of Baal worship. He was in the minority. Everyone else were worshipers of Baal. Yet Jehovah was his God. And then notice in verse number 1, the Bible says, as the Lord God of Israel lives. Would you underline that phrase? The Lord God of Israel lives. Did you know to the worshiper of Baal, Jehovah was dead. But to Elijah, Jehovah was the one supreme reality in his life. Circle the word lives. The Lord God of Israel lives. In other words, God is alive. Did you know the message of the 21st century church is the Lord God of Israel is alive. And he makes this proclamation to the king of Israel who was a follower of Baal and the entire nation were followers of Baal. God is alive. And then in verse number one not only does he say the Lord God of Israel lives, but notice, look, you know, he's kind of a little bit disrespectful toward this politician. Man, he must have been a Bible believer or something. Here in verse one, before whom, circle the word, before whom I stand even though he was standing in the presence of King Ahab, he realized, and it was more significant to him that he was sitting or standing in the very presence of the Lord God Jehovah. God Jehovah was more reality to him than Ahab. Why? Because he was getting ready to make a significant prophecy and God was his strength. He realized that God was real in his life. What exactly is this preacher man going to say to the king of Israel? What would he fearlessly prophesy to this leader of the nation, Baal worshipers? Look at the last part of Verse number 1. There shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. Notice that phrase, these years. How long was the drought and then resulting famine? How long would it it last? Well, if you look at chapter 18 and verse number 1, it says many days. If you know the New Testament, Jesus said in Luke 4.25 that this famine, this drought lasted three and a half years. The book of James tells us that Elijah was a man of like nature, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And the Bible says by the space of three and a half years. So, how long did the drought and the famine last? Well, three and a half years. So, the first lesson that Elijah learned at the brook of Cherith was the reality of God. God was alive. And God plus one is a majority. Elijah stood fearless and presented the message of God. But notice the second lesson Elijah learned at the brook of Cherith was he learned to trust in the Word of God. You know, that's a pretty good lesson to learn. Amen? Have you and I learned that lesson? Look at verse number 2. The Bible says, Then the Word of the Lord. Notice, take a pen. Highlight these three words. The Word of the Lord came to him saying. In other words, Elijah was receptive. He received the word of the Lord. The text says the word of the Lord came to him. Go down to verse number 8. You see the same phrase again. Verse number 8. Then the word of the Lord came to him. He waited and the message came To him. What would God say? Well, notice what God said in verse number three, get away from here, turn eastward, and God gave him specific words, specific directions, and Elijah was obedient to the word of the Lord that came to him. Then look at verse number three. He says, I want you to get away from here, turn eastward. I want you to hide by the brook of Kirith. Now, there's two reasons for this. Number one, he just prophesied to the king of Israel. God was going to protect him as he hid at the brook of Kirith. But God was not only going to protect him, he was going to get to know the Lord God Jehovah in silence, in solitude, quarantine, alone with God. He learned to listen to the voice of God. Have you learned that lesson yet? The Word of the Lord came to him. Elijah listened. He went to the brook of Kareth. Would you circle the phrase, the brook of Kareth? The word kareth is the place of cutting, the place of pruning, the place of carving. Do you know that God was shaping Elijah at the brook of kareth for some six months? It was the place of cutting. By the way, did you know that cutting can kind of be painful? I mean, picture in your mind a a 200-pound man, and God begins to cut on him. Sometimes cutting can be painful. But God began this process of cutting as he listened to the voice of God in solitude, protecting him at the place or the brook called Kirith. Can I give you some practical Application points. Can I? Shake, shake your head. Look, I might even do a little bit of preaching here, so stay with me. These application points. Write this down. Big lesson. Big lesson. One of the biggest lessons I have learned from Pastor Lemming, that your hidden ministry is more important than your public ministry. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody wants to be seen. And everybody wants to be on the stage. But nobody wants to go get cut on at the brook of Careth. And for six months, for three and a half years in reality, he was in solitude, alone with God. You know what the message was? The message was, hide thyself. And so, he spent those three and a half years in seclusion. Then in chapter 18, verse 1, you know what God said? Well, look at chapter 18, verse number 1. And it came to pass after many days. Here it is again. He listened to the voice of God. The word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year. In the King James Version, it says, show thyself. New King James present yourself. Before you can present yourself, you've got to hide yourself. Why? Because your hidden ministry along with God at the place of cutting is much more important than your public ministry on Mount Carmel. Amen. Look, if you don't have a hidden ministry, you won't have a public ministry. That's why we all the time kind of talk to you about reading the Bible about praying, spending time alone with God. Well, notice application point number two. You you may want to jot this down. Write it down. One of the great lessons in the Christian life. Did you know there's no shortcuts to Mount Carmel? But everybody wants to go and bypass Kirith, God forbid we go to Zarephath. We want to go directly to Mount Carmel. But I want you to know one of the great lessons we learn in this passage, there is no shortcut to spiritual victory. What did God do? God took him to the brook of Kirith, the place of cutting. God was shaping him. After six months, God moved him to Zarephath. Do you know what Zarephath means, smeltering pot? It was the place of refining. And for three and a half years, God was cutting on him. God was refining. And then he had the showdown with the prophets of Baal and the victory at Mount Carmel. There's no shortcuts to Mount Carmel. The Christian life always involves the Brook of Kirith and Zarephath. Then then thirdly, write this down. You better learn this one. Are you listening? Write this down. Third point application. Write it down. Do you know sometimes it's lonely when you follow God? Let's have a little bit of silence here. Sometimes it's lonely. When you follow God, everybody else was following Baal. And between verses 1 and 2, chapter 17, 1 and 2, the Bible doesn't tell us what all happens, but it tells us in later chapters, Ahab left Elijah. He was rather disturbed at the preaching of the man of God. He went directly home to Jezebel and he told his wife. And then if you would go into the post office in Samaria or Israel or any of those little villages, Elijah's picture, dead or alive, was inside that post office. You don't believe me? Some of you look kind of cross-eyed this morning. Look at chapter 18, verse number 10. Look at it. Obadiah's having a conversation here with, with Elijah. Elijah's left Zarephath. It's been three and a half years. He's getting ready to have a showdown on Mount Carmel. He's conversing with Obadiah. Look what he says in verse number 10. As the Lord your God lives, notice, there's no nation, no kingdom where my master has not sent someone to hunt you down. He'd been a wanted man. He had to stand all along by himself for three and a half years. Sometimes it's lonely to follow God. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I didn't go to Sunday school, didn't go to church didn't know anything about the Bible. But after I came to know Christ, March the 10th, 1974, the first lesson I learned, it gets lonely when you serve God. Why? Because the crowd goes the way of Baal. And if you and I aren't careful, we'll be magnetized hypnotized by the conversation of the world and be sucked into that same lifestyle well sometimes it's lonely when you follow the lord elijah stood stood all alone L- listen to me if you don't hear anything today hear what i'm saying to you don't follow the crowd don't follow the crowd Look at me. I don't belong to them. I belong to him. The Lord God, Jehovah, is my God. Here I stand. I don't belong to them. I belong to him. Well, that's an application point. Notice the third lesson Elijah learned by the brook. Notice he, he learned to obey God. Isn't that amazing? He learned to listen to the voice of God. The word of the Lord came to him. He heard God, but he had to obey God. Well, look what the Scripture says. Look at verse number 4. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook. I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So, he went and did according to the word of the Lord for he went and stayed by the brook kareth which flows into the Jordan would you look at verse number 5 and would you circle the word did he went and did according to the word of the Lord he went and he did notice this same word Did could be translated performed. It could be translated observed. And by the way, it is translated that way in the Old Testament. It's also translated obeyed. He went and obeyed the word of the Lord. Notice, he simply obeyed God. There's no arguing, just pure, simple, Obedience. He did. He went and he did the word of the Lord. And, and c- circle the word stayed. Is the is the Hebrew word, and it's translated to abide. Notice God says in verse number five so he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and he stayed. By the brook Kirath. When did he move? He, he moved six, some six months later. But in verse number eight, he, he didn't move until verse number eight, when the word of the Lord came to him and moved him to Zarephath. He learned at the brook of Kerith to obey the word of God. Stayed. He learned to abide. God was saying, I, I want you to Anchor down at Kareth. I want you to learn to abide in me. I want you to learn my presence. I want you to learn that I'll protect you. I will protect you. Anchor down. Well, he learned to obey the voice of the Lord. Would you underline two key phrases in verse number five? Oh, man, this is so good. Oh, this is so good. I want you to see it. I want you to take it. Oh, squeeze it. I want you to love it. I want you to know it. I want it to be real in your life. Just two simple phrases. Look look at verse number five. He went and did. Whoa. Oh, God help me. He went and he did. Look look at the last part of verse number five. He went and stayed. Did you know those are two powerful statements of obedience? That's what God wants. God wants obedience in the life of a believer. I came across this verse again this week and Jesus said, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are Spirit and they are life. Love the Word. Simply obey the Word. He went and He did. He went and He stayed. Notice the fourth lesson. Elijah learned by the, by the brook. He learned to trust. Would you, would you look at verse number four? The Bible says, And it will be that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. Would you underline in verse number four the first four words? And it will be. Oh, what a promise! What glorious assurance it will be. Oh, what certainty! God's word speaks with authority, and it will be. Can I camp out here for a little while and just enjoy the words of the living God? Isn't God's word good to our soul? And it will be. Look at verse 6. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Now, notice verse 4, the ravens, plural. Verse 6, the ravens. Did, did you know that a raven is a carnivorous bird who feast primary on carrion? We call in West Virginia roadkill, you know, possum. Yeah. Well, if you see somebody from West Virginia and they run over a possum, they have a shovel in the back of their car and they throw it in their trunk. Forget about deer. That's too healthy. We, we like that greasy possum. Well, here's a raven who primarily feast on something that was dead. By the way, the raven was an unclean bird, and they feasted on dead animals. But here in 1 Kings chapter 17, they were miraculously used by God to bring food fit for a Jewish man to eat. Look, this wasn't roadkill, but it was clean, listen to me, it was fully cooked, no blood, because Israel was forbidden throughout the Old Testament to not eat blood, but yet it was fully cooked for a Jewish man. Wow. Isn't that miraculous? I think it's pretty miraculous. Look at verse 6. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. I mean, where did the bread and meat come from? There's at least two ravens. Maybe one was a baker. The other was a butcher. I don't know where the meat came from, but I do know this. This meat came from God. This bread came from God. From God. And this dirty bird (laughs) simply happened to be the messenger used by God to bring bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. He says in verse 4 I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. Look, you're not going to believe this. The raven is, they're, they're just like you and I, they're unclean and they're very selfish. They are so selfish that when they dive on a dead animal, they will not even share that meat with their children. Yeah, don't you mess with my pizza. Yeah, sometimes we'll go out to eat and my wife wants to eat off my plate. I stab her hand. <laughs> but notice, I mean, The raven, they won't even feed their own children. But yet God possessed them to have a new nature. And almost as if they were tame, God controlled them. And they fed Elijah every morning and every evening for six months. They were totally controlled by God. Can I make a few application points? Maybe preach a little bit. Write this down. Write it down. Did you know the raven's just a small, little, insignificant bird, but in the hands of a mighty God, they became an instrument to do the miraculous? They sustained Elijah for six months. God took a nobody. And used a nobody for the glory of God. And that's what God does with you and I. Folks, you and I aren't that great. Did you know that? I mean, when God scraped down and got me, he went to the very bottom of the barrel. Yeah. And God will take a nobody and use them for the glory of God. I wonder this morning, who do you identify with in this story? The dirty bird or the prophet Elijah? You know, I've learned there's very few people that are like Elijah. By by the way, there's very few people like Pastor Lemming. Very few people. Very few preachers. But, you know, I know a lot of dirty birds And I kind of identify with these ravens, just little, insignificant, nobody. But I want you to notice in this story that every need that Elijah had, God used multiple ravens to sustain him. Can I give you an application point? Would you just kind of jot this down? Did you know that men and women who see the bigger picture of God, eternity, and they're willing to cast themselves at the altar of God's throne and give themselves to his church? Why? Because something bigger and bigger is at stake and God wants to use us did you know the only job the ravens had they had, had one job and that was to serve can you imagine going into O'Charlie's and a raven flying over to take your order <laughs> all they did was serve all they did was serve. All they did was, what's that word? Serve. And it's not a good word in our vocabulary today. We want to be seen. We want to be heard. But do we want to be a little insignificant raven that serves? Can I tell you tonight, had not The ravens sustained Elijah. There would have never been a showdown on Mount Carmel. And one of the greatest victories of all Christendom was discovered on Mount Carmel. Wow, God did a miraculous work. Well, look at verse number seven, and we'll close this thing down. Notice in verse number 7, the brook dries up. Whoa. What'd God do? Well, Elijah prophesied, and the same prophecy that affected Israel affected him. The brook dried up. And then verse number 8, the process begins all over again. Then the word of the Lord did the same thing, came to him Arise, go to Zarephath, the place of refining. He says, this time, there's going to be a a little widow woman who's going to provide for you. Just a widow woman, and God provided for him. Let me ask you a question this morning. What did Elijah learn by the brook? He learned a few lessons. He learned to be fearless, and he stood alone. He learned to enjoy the reality of God. Hey, folks, God is alive. He learned to listen to the voice of God, and then he learned to obey that voice from God, and then he learned to trust God. I think every time one of those little ravens who landed, controlled by the hand of God, hit the same ground, the same spot, every single morning and evening, I think Elijah said, Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you for the lessons that I learned at Careth.